One of my very favorites. I want to talk to you today about, um, about the family of God. Today we're going to be having communion together. And uh, communion, of course, is a celebration or a feast that's celebrated by the family of God. And one of the things that we need to be clear about before we even take communion is what, in fact, is the family of God and what kind of an attitude must there be in the family to make us even worthy of taking communion together. Understand this, um, communion is a celebration of Christ's body, Christ's body that was broken for us, but it also is a celebration of the body that was formed because Christ died on the cross for us. So if you uh, look around here today, you'll see Christ's body, his physical body here, and this body God has ordained to bring glory to, to God. Now, I'm going to get us to take a look at 1 Corinthians this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 22. We're going to look at it in just a moment, but don't, don't go there just yet. Um, let me say this. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter because he heard uh, about some problems that were taking place in the church in Corinth. Now, the Apostle Paul, many of you know, many of you know that uh, the Apostle Paul traveled throughout the world, uh, starting up new churches all over the place. And uh, there were some really, really great churches, but he, he constantly had problems with this church in Corinth. Now, before we look at those problems, let me just say this about the Apostle Paul. As he's traveling throughout the world, what's he doing? First of all, he's preaching the good news uh, about Jesus Christ and that Jesus has come to wash away your sin, your guilt, and your shame. The other thing is that Jesus uh, has come to wipe the slate clean, give you a fresh start. That's good news. And, uh, of course, the, the, the third thing is this, is that Jesus has come to put you in his family. Whereas before you were lonely and you were without family, or you had a family, but, you know, we know families can be like rather dysfunctional. Jesus wanted to come along and bring you into his family so that you could celebrate and enjoy the love that takes place in his family. Now, it's, I mean, basically, it's pretty good. I mean, the, the church is really doing its thing. The church is really successful around the world. But there's uh, that church in Corinth. Man, do they have problems. They are constantly struggling. And so Paul writes this letter, and I'm reading from the message because it really, really does sound um, uh, very much, well, it's, it's in modern, modern English, and you can understand it very well. So I'm going to read this open letter to the Corinthian church from the Apostle Paul, and this is what he says. Regarding this next item... Now, he's talked about a few things. Now he's getting on to this. He says, regarding this next item, I'm not at all pleased. I'm getting the picture that when you meet together, it brings out your worst side instead of your best. First, I get this report on your divisiveness, competing with and criticizing each other. I'm reluctant to believe it, but there it is. The best that can be said for it is that the testing process will bring truth into the open and confirm it. In other words... We're going to see who's, who's experiencing and functioning and, and acting properly and who isn't. And then I find that you bring your divisions to worship. You come together and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in just a few moments, you bring in a lot of food from the outside, making pigs of yourselves. 
That's the message. Some are left out and go home hungry. Others have to be carried out too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. Don't you have your own homes to eat and drink in? Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church? And why would you actually shame God's poor? I never would have believed that you would stoop to this, and I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. And so you get the picture then. In Corinth, the church gets together, and the church in Corinth is like the church everywhere. The church is made up of very poor people, very rich people, uneducated, educated uh, men, women, Gentiles, Jews, people from all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds. I mean, it's, a, it's really a, a, a collection of just about every kind of person you can imagine. Now, the problem is this, is that when they get together, rather than loving each other the way Christ intends us to love each other, there were obvious differences. And the ones who were really, really suffering when the church got together is the poor people. The poor people, Paul says, are made to feel ashamed because they're poor, because they don't have anything, they don't have very much. The others have got lots, and so when they get together for this love feast and the celebration of what Christ did at the cross, they come with their own food, and they say, I'm not sharing. <laughs> you don't have any of my food. You go ahead and eat your bread and water. I'm, I'm, I'm having filet mignon <laughs> today, and I'm having a nice glass of wine with that, and, uh, and not just one, but many. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about uh, just an, rather than a glorious celebration of what Christ has done, and a glorious celebration of the family of God, it, uh, it becomes an extremely dysfunctional family. And Paul says, I'm not having any of it. Now, I want to stop for a moment this morning and talk to you about what God's ideal is for his church. And some people have this wrong idea that the church is just an institution or it's an organization. But I need you to know something today. The church is not an organization. And you've heard me say this. It's an organism. It's alive. It's alive. The church is, is, is the body of Christ. And this church that Christ has established is not just like the Kiwanis or the Rotarians or some, some club you come, you sort of pay your dues, you say hi, you, you, you do your thing, and then you go home. We're, we're talking about a family, because that's really what the church is all about. In fact, you can't read the New Testament without recognizing that we're talking about a family. Because the words that are used constantly in the New Testament are words like brother and sister and mother and father and inheritance and adoption. This is the church. We're a family. That person sitting beside you, that's your brother or your sister. Did you know that? And the Bible says that that's the way we're supposed to treat one another, like family. I remember uh, my, my parents didn't go to church when I was little. But I can remember the first time I would hear my grandparents, who were Christians, talking about uh, other people they'd go to church with. And it was always uh, brother so-and-so or sister so Remember that, Marilyn? It would be Sister Wedlake or... Or Brother Barber. I remember Pastor Barber's wife called me one day to talk to me about something. I can't remember what. And she says, uh, Brother Barber wants to talk to you. Brother what? <laughs> it's just kind of an unfamiliar term. But I'll tell you this. The early days of the Pentecostal movement, that's the way you dress one another. And it wasn't just for be, not just to be polite, but it was a way of saying, look it, you and I are connected to each other. You and I are family because of what Jesus did for us. And so they'd call each other brother and sister. 
And even my grandparents' closest friends, you know, they would always, whenever they were referring to him, it was always Brother, brother Trim or Sister Trim or, or uh, uh, Brother Gibson. or that's, It was brother and sister. We've lost that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's the culture we live in. We're very individualistic. We, we, we like to keep people at arm's length. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I, but I want to say this here right now. God's ideal for the church is that we are a family. And I think when I use the word family, some of you instantly conjures up images of dysfunction. So let me just say this. God's ideal for the family is that we be a healthy family. Because the church in Corinth was extremely unhealthy. Nobody cared. Listen, nobody cared for one another. Nobody was concerned about the other person. And uh, here's what you need to understand is this. Is it God's purpose for you and for me as believers is that we find our place firmly within the family. And if you don't find yourself firmly within the family, then I've got to say this. You, you probably don't understand Christianity. You probably don't get it. You probably don't understand what it's really all about. Because here's the thing. The Apostle Paul, when he goes out doing his preaching, he preaches about people coming to Christ and becoming Christians. And then he talks about wiping clean the slate. And then, and then, he introduces you into the family. And that has always been the pattern throughout history. And so here's the thing. If you are finding yourself in the family, but not of the family, then you've got to, and don't be offended when I say this to you, but you've got a, a serious spiritual problem that you need to address. Because this is not a place for you just to come and show up on Sundays. Yes, it's a place to show up to worship God together, but God's will for you is to be part of his family. And the sign of spiritual sickness in your life is that you are not finding your place in in the family. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But look at this. Uh, it's a fascinating study when you talk about the early church. You go back to 1760 or 8250, and you find uh, uh, Cyprian, the Bishop of Carthage, saying this, making it very clear. He says this. Uh, he's, he's doing a commentary on the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. We call it what? The, we call it the Lord's Prayer, don't we? And this, this is what he says, quote, Before all things, the teacher of peace and the master of unity. Who's that? Jesus, that's right. The teacher of peace and the master of unity, unity did not wish prayer to be offered individually and privately as one would pray only for himself when he prays. Rather, Jesus teaches us to pray what? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then what? Give me, us. Give us this day our daily bread. And what? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And what? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So you get the point, don't you? We're talking about a family. And here's what the bishop of Carthage is saying. He's saying, if you don't get that, then you really don't get Christianity. You really don't get the teachings of Christ. Because the teachings of Christ are all about you in the context of God's family. And we become family by the miracle of what Jesus did at the cross. Isn't that amazing? 
The miracle of the cross is that you and I now are, are family. And whether I like it or not, Stan is my brother. I like it, Stan. Stan will harass me and abuse me and make fun of me, and uh, I love it. <laughs> it's a bit of dysfunction going on here. <laughs> it's the family. If you, don't, if, you, if you don't see yourself as part of the family, as, as acting and interacting within the family, then you don't get what Christianity is about. So now you've heard me say this repeatedly, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it again. Um, the key that unlocks the mysteries of, of this life and what life is all about. In fact, the, the key to the mystery of the universe can be found in one word, relationships. Or more precisely, loving relationships. If you get that, then you'll understand what life's about. And here's the thing. The thing that makes us attractive to people who don't know Christ is that we understand this concept, this idea. And so the saddest thing for me is that if you come through those doors on Sunday morning and then turn around and walk back out again at the end of the service, never having connected to anybody. That's, I got a problem with that. It's not that I'm, I'm not mad at you. The problem I have is that you're missing out on what God wants for you. You're missing out. And that's why we take the time during our service. And it's not just to fill in time. Believe me, we always feel that we're fighting for time. We're short of time. But the reason we get you to shake hands and to connect is to make sure that there's at least some form of connection, of relational love. I remember uh, Ali, uh, when she first, uh, Allison Lowe, when she first come, came to this church, she said, the part of the service I hated, Pastor, was the part when you'd say, okay, everybody turn around and shake hands. She said, oh, she said, I just wanted to turn around and bolt, take off out the, out the back doors. It just, just, that part was just 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 freaked me out. Well, why did it freak her out? It's because she wasn't used to it. But as she got, began to mature and got more entrenched with it, within the family, guess what? She's the last one to sit down on a Sunday morning now. <laughs> I was like, Allison, it's time to sit down now. <laughs> she loves it. It's, a, it's her favorite part of the service. And in fact, this is an ancient practice, and it's called, in, in ancient times, it was called passing the peace. It's it's getting connected. And this was an ancient practice. I mean, this is not something new to this church. This is an ancient, ancient practice. Practiced for hundreds of years. Now, God defines himself with one word. What is that word? Love. God says he is love. The only way, my friends, that you are going to truly know God, the only way that you're going to truly understand who God is, is if you are in a loving relationship. Where you are not taking but giving. Does that make sense? You say, well, does that mean I don't take? Of course you take, but first you, you give. And you give and you give. And that, my friends, is where fulfillment comes from. And if you're not doing that, you'll not be fulfilled. The thing that gives you life is not that you get whatever you want. And that everything goes your way. The thing that, the thing that gives you life is that you function normally within the family, loving others or reaching out to others. And I'm going to tell you this. God's purpose for the church, for our church, is that this place would become a showcase of what it likes to be in and belong to a loving family. This is a showcase for God's love. So here's the thing. Paul is, Paul is furious because these Christians in Corinth are so terribly dysfunctional, they haven't got a clue what it means to truly follow Jesus. 
The very first thing we recognize then is that God's plan, his ideal, is that you and I be part of a family. Now, the other thing that God wants for us in the context of this family is that we love each other. And if you read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, this is, this is what Paul says to the, to the church in Galatia. The church in Corinth is in what country? Anybody? Greece, very good. The church of Galatia is in what country? Turkey. So this is what Paul says to the church that's over there. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity... And I'd circle that in my Bible if I were you. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. But especially to those who belong to the family of believers. If you have, as you have opportunity, do good to all people, but especially to those who are part of the family of believers. Now, God's purpose for his church is that we would be his hands and his feet do you remember, was it Whiteheart Berry that sang that song, We Are His Hands, We Are His... One of the, the most beautiful songs of all time. I'm going to get Barry to sing it sometimes. He knows that one. Um, and he sang it for us. A fantastic song. But God's purpose is that your hands and your feet now be used by him, be, be uh, becoming his hands, his feet, to show love to his family. So... The Apostle Paul is looking at the church in Corinth, and he says this. He says, I get this report on your divisiveness. You're competing with each other. You're criticizing each other. You bring in a lot of food from the outside, making pigs of yourselves. I like that. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Uh, some are left out and go home hungry. Others have to be carried out too drunk to walk. Why would you actually shame God's poor? I, I never would have believed you would stoop to this. Okay, so this goes completely contrary to God's will and purpose for his church. This is a place where we love each other and where we're loved. And so let me ask you this question this morning. Is there somebody that you can think of right here, right now, or maybe who should be here this morning or who can't be here this morning for some reason that needs you to show them a little bit of love? Is there somebody that you could think of that you know needs a little bit of loving care? I got a phone call this morning. And um, somebody I'd never talked to before, somebody I didn't know. But it's a person who's, who had some need in her family. And she said to me, uh, Pastor, I need you to pray for my sister. And I said, do I know you? She said, no, you don't know me. But I'm a, I'm a believer. I need you to pray for my sister Azeb, A-Z-E-B. And I said, what do you want me to pray for? Well, she's very, very sick. But I knew that I knew that I could call you. Even though you don't know me and I don't know you, I know you're my brother. And I need you to pray. And so she said, would you ask your congregation to pray? So I said, you know what? We'll be glad to do that. And I prayed with her right on the spot. I said, let's pray right now for your sister Azeb. And uh, probably one day I'll meet her in heaven if I don't meet her on this earth. But we're part of a family. And she knew, she knew that she could call her family. We're her family. So I would like us to do that right now. I'd like us to pray for Ezeb. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads right now and pray for her. Father, right now we want to bring to you Ezeb. We, we don't know who she is, but her sister called this morning uh, confident that this church family would lift up this sister in prayer. And so, God, right now, we're just joining our hearts together. 
And um, we're praying for her. We're praying, God, that you would do a miracle in her life. We pray, God, that at this very moment, at this very minute as we're praying, you would just move in there miraculously and that we would get a call that God has touched to Zeb. And we thank you, Father, that you are touching that whole family. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to, to recognize something here. Paul says, uh, as you have opportunity. What, what does the word opportunity mean? It, means? it means good will come to that person who has that opportunity to do good. What, is God, what, what does Paul call this an opportunity? I'll tell you why. Because wherever there's an opportunity to do good and you do it, guess what happens? God shows up. And if you want to know the power of God at work in your life, if you want to experience miracles in your life, if you want to experience the presence of Jesus at work in your life, if you want to experience the divine, the supernatural, take advantage of the opportunities that come to you to do good. It's so easy, isn't it, to go the other way. It's so easy to turn your, turn your face away and say, oh, no, not another problem. Two weeks ago in the foyer, uh, just finished the second service, walk around, shake hands with everybody, and just about ready to go for lunch. I'm starved. It's 1 o'clock, and then all the corner of my eye, I see a woman standing there who had not been in any of the service. Tears are running down her cheeks. Her f- cheeks are just burning red, and she looks at me. And I could tell she didn't know who I was, and she didn't know if I was a person to talk to or not, but she said to me, I need help. And I, said, I walked over to her, I introduced myself to her. I said, I'm Pastor Allen. As soon as I said, I'm Pastor Allen, she just started sobbing. Not because she knows me or because I looked bad or had bad breath. <laughs> but I think she realized she was talking to the right person. And she said, I'm, I don't know how to explain this to you, but she said, my husband and I are from, uh, from Edmonton and our job is to, to move people. We, we move, come into people's homes, we pack up their stuff and then move them out. And um, she said, we were, we were having a bit of an argument. And all of a sudden, my husband just kicked me out of the truck and, and then took off at me. She said, he, I don't have any cards, no, no, uh, no credit cards, no debit cards. All I have is my license. And um, she said, I, I, I have no money. And I, I, I just, I, I don't know what to do. I can't get home. So, well, where do you live? I live in Edmonton, she said. So I said, come on, let's, let's sit down and we'll talk together. And then she sits and tells me all about the the horrible things she's going through. And, and Dawn, if you are listening right now uh, on, uh, through, our, through the internet, through our sermons online, I want you to know that we're thinking of you and praying for you. Um, I get a lot of people say that they're, they're listening to the messages online and that something will, will trigger them to call. But Dawn, Dawn came here not by mistake. She came here by God's purpose, God's plan. And she showed up here. She said, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. And she said, a voice inside of me said, go to the church. This is, this is a person. Don, Don doesn't know the Lord yet. But how many know that, that that voice in her heart was none other than the Holy Spirit prompting her? And so she came here. And we had an opportunity to tell her how much God loved her. And God cares for her. And we were able to put her on a plane and send her back with a bit of money in her pocket. And she just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and cried. I'm going to tell you, my friends, this is an opportunity. 
And these are the times that God moves in and does the miraculous. I'm going to tell you, if you want to know the joy and the excitement of the Christian life, it only comes when you take the opportunities, take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you to show love to somebody. That is what the family of God is all about. It's a place where we love each other. Now, I need to tell you one other thing about this family of God. It, I mean, God's will is for you to be in the family. It's God's will that we love each other. But here's something else. It's God's will that we help each other grow. And I have to tell you this. I hear people say, you know, I'm studying my Bible and I'm listening to the sermons on TV. I start early in the morning, listen to Jim Baker. I listen to Jimmy Swaggart. I listen to Kenneth Copeland. And I listen, I'm listening to all and I'm reading my, I'm getting all the books and the magazines and I'm reading all that information. Guess what, my friends? The way that you're going to grow spiritually is in the context of the family of God. That's God's will and plan for your life. That's where you truly grow. You can read books and you can listen to the sermons and you can, you can but you, you're not going to grow until and unless you're in the context of the family of God. Uh, Joseph H. Hellerman, professor of New Testament at Talbot School of Theology, uh, author of the book, When the Church Was a Family, Recapturing Jesus' Vision for Authentic Christian Community. Listen to what he says. I wish I could just sit up here for a couple hours and read the book to you. It's, it's, it's that fantastic, talking about the, about the church. And this is what he says. This is what he reports. He says, social scientists have intensely, intensively studied the loss of genuine community that characterizes life in North America and its churches. That's what the social scientists have discovered. There's a lack of community in North America and particularly in its churches. It's interesting since the, the very essence of the church's family. This is this. They have concluded, these social scientists, they have concluded that we are a radically individualistic society oriented toward personal fulfillment in ways profoundly more me-centered than any other culture or people group in world history. Never in the history of this planet has there ever been a society or a culture that is more me-centered. And I wish I could say that it didn't apply to the church, but the social scientists have discovered that it has. And that when people come to church, it's all about me. George Barna says it's so bad that the culture has actually hijacked the church so that the church now functions as a microcosm of our society. Rather than us being different, rather than us being the salt and the light in this culture, rather than than the church transforming the culture, the culture has transformed the church. The social scientists go on to say this. It is our individualism, our insistence that the rights and satisfaction of the individual must take priority over the group to which one belongs that has seriously compromised our ability to stay in relationship and grow with one another as God intends. So this is why we're not growing as individuals. This is, this is what stops us growing spiritually when we start looking out for me and stop caring about ye. Or thee. 
It's not about me, it's about we. And unless and until we understand that, then we will not experience and know all that God has for us spiritually. So the amazing thing is this, friends, is that this 2010 condition, in the year 2010, the condition of the church today is precisely what the Apostle Paul is addressing in Corinth back 1953 years ago in the church in Corinth. It's exactly the same thing. This individualism, this, this me first. Paul is upset because this attitude of self-centeredness has caused a stop in spiritual growth in the church. Has anybody ever read through First and Second Corinthians? The letters that Paul wrote to, to Corinth? You will never find more selfishness and more immorality in the Bible than you will in the book of Corinth, in the books of the letters to the, to the Corinthians church. And why is that? It's because these people have still not understood, have not gotten a hold of the idea that the church is a place where they grow. And the way that you grow is by putting others first. And so let me say this to you this morning. Spiritual formation and growth in your life occurs primarily in the context of community. That is how you will grow. That is how you will mature. Yes, reading your Bible, you've got to read your Bible, you've got to pray, but you've got to be in fellowship with believers. And you know what uh, Professor Hellerman says this. He says, those who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow, listen to this, in self-understanding, in self-awareness. It's because when you are constantly in contact with your brothers and sisters in your, in your own family, that's when you find out who you really are and what you're really all about. Because if you don't know, your brothers and sisters are going to tell you. <laughs> I tell you, I felt like I was so picked on when I was growing up. I don't, I don't know anybody else feels like that here. Uh, oh, you know, I used to say my brother is the eldest, so he had a special place in the family. And my, my youngest brother was the youngest, so he had a special place in the family. My sister was the only girl in the family, and I'm a nobody. <laughs> nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. And uh, I'll tell you, It hurts when you find out the truth about yourself. But I'm going to tell you this. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. I thank God for that. Because that's where self-awareness and self-understanding comes from. Because the people in your life will tell you the truth about yourself. And that's what the church is supposed to be all about. It's all about getting the rough edges knocked off of you. How many people sit here on a Sunday morning and think, oh man, that's a good sermon. I wish, I wish that Joe was here to hear this because he really needs to hear this. It, it, it's, that's often what we think, Right? And we fail to recognize that God's saying, hold on, I'm not talking to Joe, I'm talking to you. You're the one. Yeah. Those who are in the context of of a church, of a church family, are the ones that will mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to other people. Those who are in the church family will learn how to relate in a healthy manner to God and to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Professor Hellerman says this. He says, long-term relationships are the furnace in which genuine progress in the Christian life takes place. People who stay connected to the family, they're the ones that grow. People who leave, who run away, who whine about the family are people who do not grow. That's the finding. 
And so if you want to grow spiritually, then you've got to stop thinking about me and start thinking about we. You've got to stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about the person sitting behind you, in front of you, and beside you. And you've got to start learning to love those people and caring about them. And if you've got a breakdown in your relationship with, with people in your life, then you need to get it right. You need to go to that person no matter how difficult it is to love them. How many know that the way that God makes you grow is by bringing people into your life that you have a hard time loving? And he, want, and he says, okay, that's the one I want you to love. <laughs> that's the one that you need to have in your life. That's the one that God's brought along to make you grow and to make you grow up. And here's the thing. So important is it to make sure that your relationship with one another is what it needs to be, that you are prohibited, according to Scripture, from taking the Lord's Supper until your relationships are right. It's that important to God. And so this morning, I'd like you to um, bow your heads with me, please. I'm going to show a short uh, communion clip, and then as we do, I'm going to ask our elders to come and help me serve communion. Father, we uh, recognize this morning just how very self-centered we are. And uh, we recognize, Lord, how so often it's all about me, and we're concerned about, about our rights and our opportunities, and we're concerned about our giftings, and we're concerned about what gives us life and what gives us joy. And God, what you're asking us to do is not to be concerned about ourselves, but to be concerned about the people around us, making sure they're happy, making sure their needs are met. And that's where growth comes from. That's where maturity comes from. That's where you are glorified and honored. God, we pray right now that you would help us to take a moment to examine our own spiritual lives, to see whether or not we are actively involved in in fellowshipping with the people that you have given us to fellowship with. And we want to say thank you right now for the family of God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.